you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. This is Alan Griffith. Welcome to episode 119 of By the Book. We are glad you're with us for this episode. We've been talking about principles that are to guide us, also principles that are promises from God. But these are enduring truths that we need because God does not have a particular word of instruction for everything we do, for every circumstance that we face, for every decision that we make. And so we look for guiding principles. And we've been talking about some. Uh, Today, on this episode, we're going to, in a sense, follow up to uh, our last episode, which was dealing with the fact that we are not our own. When you get saved, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 6 that uh, we have been bought with a price, and we are now the possession of God. We don't belong to ourselves, and we need to acknowledge that. And he went on and said that we need to then uh, glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. So that's great truth. Uh, The natural follow-up to that, because he had been discussing the fact that that includes our body, our body and our spirit, the natural follow-up to that for me is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it may be that you're extremely familiar with those two verses, but I want to use them to continue the challenge uh, that comes out of the fact that we have been bought with a price and therefore do not belong to ourselves and therefore should serve and glorify God. So you may know the verses very well, but I want to read them to you. And then I want to uh, work our way through them. And the reason I'm willing to do that, even though they are such uh, familiar verses, is because I'm convinced as I deal with people, talk with people, preach, etc., that most Christians, and that might be an exaggeration, but at least many Christians have never really come to grips with the challenge of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I think it is essential that we do that. And if you have never specifically dealt with it, I hope you will do that today. I think it's critical to our walk with God. So we are in Romans 12. And let me just say a word about the the book of Romans, which is uh, parallel to others of, of Paul's epistles. And that is that Paul gives doctrinal teaching first, and then he comes to practical teaching and practical exhortation. And as we come to chapter 12 of Romans, uh, we are coming to the point of the practical teaching and application. Uh, The first eight chapters, very, very uh, heavy salvation doctrine. Paul had never been to Rome He wanted to get there. He wanted to minister to them. He eventually did get there, ended up in prison, eventually ended up being martyred. But he had not been there when he wrote this letter. 
And so he writes heavy doctrine, if you will, the first eight chapters. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, uh, talking about Israel and God's plan for Israel. And then we come to chapter 12, and Paul is now going to turn to very practical exhortation for us. And so verse 1 begins with this very simple challenge. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, listen to it, by the mercies of God. You know, you and I have experienced the mercy of God. Mercy is when God withholds from us something, I'll say, bad that we deserve. God says, this is what you deserve, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to do it. That's mercy. Well, you and I have experienced the mercy of God. And so Paul says, I want to beseech you. That's not a commandment. It's an exhortation. But he says, I want to beseech you on the basis of the fact that you have received the mercy of God. And then he said, here is what I want to exhort you or beseech you to do, that ye present your bodies. We talked about the body last time. The body, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, is for the Lord. It's not for you. It's not for me to do whatever I want to do. It's for the Lord, and it's on the basis of of that truth. Paul's getting at the same truth when he gives a very explicit challenge to us that we would present, surrender, offer as a sacrifice, if you will, present our bodies. Now, the body is that part of us through which we express everything that's going on in the inside. Ultimately, it comes out in the body. It comes out by what I say, what I look at, what I hear, what I do, where I go. It's all about the body. Paul says God wants your body, but God is challenging you. And by the way, he can do whatever he wants to do with your body, whether you like it or not and with mine as well. But the challenge is that that facing with deep appreciation what God has done when he saved us, Paul says, I beseech you to present your body, to give it in surrender. Lord, here I am. Here's my body. I will use this body to serve you. What I see, what I say, what I listen to, where I go, what I touch, what I taste, I want to surrender it all to you. Paul calls it a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, God required dead sacrifices. He doesn't want any dead sacrifices anymore. 
He wants us, while we are living, to live sacrificially for him. In other words, just as in the Old Testament, the the body of the animal was put on the altar, consumed in fire as a sacrifice to God, God says to you and to me, I want you to put your body on the altar of sacrifice so it can be consumed by the way you live it for me, for my glory. Have you ever done that? It's not your salvation. It's after your salvation. It's when you're at a point where you can recognize the truth of your salvation, and here you are now saved, and you're on your way to heaven, and you still have this life to live, and you have this body in which you are living, and have you come to the point of saying, Lord, I put it on the altar for you. Now, it is modified with this word holy. Not much preaching and teaching and talking about holiness today. The term holy always involves the idea of separation. It always does. And God is interested in you and me being separated in two ways, separated from the bad and separated unto the good or unto him. Separation works both ways. Sometimes the emphasis is separation from, and believe me, there's a place for that. But if you and I get hold of the separation too, then it'll help us. Say, well, I want to live separated to God. And, And as soon as you do that, that will automatically pull you away from certain thoughts and ideas and practices and so on. And God says, that's what I want. He said, you're saved. I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice to me, and I want it holy. I want it separate from sin. I want it separated unto me. And then it says, acceptable unto God. And you've probably heard it preached that that term acceptable means well-pleasing, well-pleasing to God. Uh, We should want to live our life pleasing to God, not pleasing ourselves. What's that old little saying? Two choices on the shelf, serving God or serving self. Well, God wants us to serve him. He wants us to look for the opportunity and ways to please him. So that's what God is is asking of us. We've been bought with a price. He said, okay, I bought you. I own you. I'm going to take you to my heaven. I have delivered you from a place called hell. Now you have this life, and I want it. I want your body. Have you given it to him? Paul goes on and makes this statement at the end of verse 1, which is, your reasonable service. 
Now, I know of some people who have very specifically refused to surrender all to the Lord because they're afraid of what God might ask them to do, or maybe ask them not to do, or where he might want them to go. But what we're told is that this surrender, this sacrifice, this offering to God is the reasonable thing to do. It's not a big deal like, oh, he gave his life to the Lord. Everybody's supposed to do that. It doesn't mean you'll end up on the mission field. It doesn't mean that. Maybe you will. But the point is, it's saying this, Lord, it's up to you. And I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Now we come to verse 2, and Paul is basically saying this. Now be careful because there's some things that can get in the way of that sacrifice. And so in verse 2, he says, and be not. And as I recall, this is written in such a way in the original language that it suggests the practice was going on and needed to be stopped. And so we could render it like this and stop being conformed to this world. Stop being conformed. Conform means to be pushed into a mold. And you know, if there's a problem that exists in the church today, in my view, is that we, the church, are being pushed into the mold of what is described here as the world. And you may know, we've talked about it before, you've probably heard it in other preaching or teaching, or you've read it or studied it, whatever. But the term world here is not a reference to the world system, the cosmos. It is a reference to the age. It's a reference to the the world as it is today. The world as it is today is different than the world as it was in Paul's day. They had their problems. They had their issues. Uh, We have our problems and we have our issues, and they're different, but they represent what we would legitimately call worldliness. And there's a danger. Uh, Paul says, You don't want to be conformed to this world. I've said to many people, I've said to my own children, I've said to many, many people, as we face this world and we face all the the things that are going on in church and outside of church and whatever it is, I have suggested to them, you need to know who you are. And I would say that to you today. You need to know who you are. Why? Because there are all kinds of influences that are coming into our life and coming into the church. There's all kinds of views and opinions, and there's all kinds of of other kinds of influence of teaching and and music and dress and and uh, drugs or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of stuff out there, and people are being lured away and drawn into it, and they are, as this term suggests, they're being pushed into this mold, this 
this artificial mold that is being created by the world or often being created by compromising churches, and that is becoming Christianity. And I would say step back from all that mess, study this book, look at yourself, find out who you are, how do you want to live, who do you want to be for God, and don't be pushed. Don't be negatively influenced or influenced with the ways of the world or influenced with something just because it is new. Don't be or stop being conformed to this world, is what Paul said. So you see the relationship. We're going to present our body a living sacrifice to God. It's going to be holy. It's going to be separated unto him. It's going to be well-pleasing to him. And we're supposed to recognize it as the, the reasonable thing to do. And then Paul is saying to us, but, you know, things can get in the way of that. And what can get into the way of that is the, the worldliness of our time, the age, and the way it is going, and you don't want to be conformed to that. What do we want? Well, the text goes on. But be ye transformed. Here again, a word that you may have heard explained before, maybe in this podcast or elsewhere, but it's an important word because it's the same word that elsewhere in Scripture is translated transfigured. And of course, it was used of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was transfigured before his disciples, Peter, James, and John. Now, what was that all about? What was that experience? Well, the Lord Jesus was God in the flesh. But when he was on this earth, his glory was veiled. To look at the Lord Jesus, you would have never known he was God in the flesh. But then, on a single occasion, he takes Peter, James, and John up into a high mountain, and there he is transfigured, or he is transformed. And what that means is that what was on the inside, the reality of the inside of Christ that was being veiled on the outside, that inward reality was all of a sudden put on display. And they saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory. John said, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter said, we saw his majesty. I can only imagine what that experience was like. When the transfiguration was over, the Lord Jesus returned again to his purely human appearance. Now, there was still that inward reality He was God in the flesh, but for somebody to see him, they would have never known that. Now, here, you and I are challenged to be transformed. 
you and I are challenged to be transfigured. What's that mean? Well, when you got saved, something happened on the inside. When I got saved, something happened on the inside. We were new creatures in Christ. We were changed. Now we belong to the Lord. We don't belong to the world anymore. We are the children of God. We are on our way to heaven. We are, again, new creatures in Christ. And old things passed away. All things become new. So what is Paul saying for you and for me? He's saying that we need to be transformed. The inward reality, child of God, saved, on my way to heaven, part of the body of Christ, bought with a price, that inward reality needs to be put on display so that when somebody looks at us, they can see by what they see outwardly what happened to us inwardly. Well, how's that happen? I mean, you get saved and, you know, you're you're still you. Well, something needs to happen, and this is what the verse goes on to say, that we need to be transformed. It doesn't happen in a moment of time as the transfiguration of Christ. It takes time. So he says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. You know, you and I have certain thought patterns, certain views, certain opinions, whatever it might be. And we've had all those uh, when we were unsaved. And all of a sudden we get saved. And we are supposed to begin to think differently. We are supposed to see things differently. We are supposed to have our understanding changed. We are supposed to begin a pattern of growth. And again, it doesn't happen overnight, but over a period of time, you and I are supposed to grow and develop in our spiritual understanding. It's going to affect our thinking, which in turn is then going to affect what I do outwardly. It's going to affect where I go and how I talk, what I look at, what I read, what I hear. It's going to affect everything about me. That is what is supposed to happen. And so here's what Paul says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to think differently. We're going to understand differently. Now, there's a purpose in that. And here's what Paul goes on to say. That you may prove, that term suggests to to test and find out, that you may prove what? You may prove what is that good and acceptable that which would please God, and perfect will of God. Do you know 
you'll never really know the will of God. You'll never be able to be sure of it until you have dealt with the first part of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'm convinced there are many, many Christians, they're saved, they're on their way to heaven, hallelujah, when the rapture takes place, they're going to be taken up to be with the Lord. <clears throat> but they got saved, and they have been living their life and doing their thing, and they might be in church, I don't know how they're living, they might not be living an ungodly life, but they have never come to grips with this matter of presenting their bodies a living sacrifice. And consequently, they may have never really come to understand what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for them. And that is for you. And that is for me. This is all built on what we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The body is for the Lord. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have been bought with a price, and therefore we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves anymore, and we are therefore to glorify God, to magnify him, to exalt him, to praise him in our body. That's what we're talking about here in Romans 12, and in our spirit, both of which are God's. Now, that's pretty serious business because you and I cannot properly glorify and magnify God if we are outside of his will for us, his desire for us. There have been times when I have dealt with people in counseling, I can think of two very specific times, and it's interesting because there are two couples who were involved, and, and I don't want to get into the, uh, the relationship there at this moment, but the man of the one couple <clears throat> told me, and he was pretty, pretty well along in life, he's with the Lord now, but he told me that he knew when he was younger that God wanted him to serve him on the mission field. And he never went. And he never went because he never really dealt with Romans 12, 1 and 2. He found it easier to take life into his own hands, make his own decisions, do whatever he wanted to do, and he never really laid his life on the line. He never really said, okay, Lord, I'm presenting to you my body as a living sacrifice. And of the other couple I'm making reference to, uh, it was the, the young lady who basically had the same kind of testimony. She knew as a teenager that God wanted her to serve him on the mission field, but she never took this step. God was dealing with her. God was convicting her, which is pretty amazing. But you know what? She never came to that point of presenting her body a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know what God might do with you 
I don't know where you are in life. I, I often have people ask me with where my wife and I are. Well, you know, is this it? Are you settled? Are you sure? Whatever. And and I've said, you know, we are willing to do whatever God wants us to do. And we're in a situation right now where I can't imagine moving and, and being somewhere else or doing something different. But, you know, if if that's what God wants, then I'm willing. Okay, Lord, here we go. But I can remember a time when I came to grips with this, and I hope you have. I said, Lord, here's my life. There was an old hymn. I make reference to it. I can't remember the words. I've made reference to it on past podcasts. But the song went something like this, uh, singing to the Lord. Here's my life. I lay it on the altar. And I can remember that in, in my life. Lord, here's my life. I lay it on the altar. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know where that's going to take me. I don't know what that that means God is going to do. It, it certainly means that I am yielding to God's right to do whatever he wants to do. And I know, and here's the thing, I know he has that right, whether I yield to it or not. And if you're saved, God has that right. But he wants you and me to yield to that and to make that presentation. But you and I belong to him. You and I are his possession if we are saved. And again, I emphasize, he has the right to do with you anything he wants to do. And you may not like it. You may not want to yield to it. But he has the right. And we see it throughout Scripture. We see what God did in people's lives. Some surrendered to it and got victory, and some did not. But what about you? If you have never come to grips with Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want to challenge you to deal with it today. I want to challenge you to get before the Lord and simply declare to him, Lord, I am presenting my body to you as a living sacrifice. I want to be holy. I want to be separated unto you. I want to be well-pleasing unto you. I am going to not allow myself to be conformed to this world and its ways. I want to know your will. I want to walk in your will. That is all that matters to me. You've never taken care of that. I hope you will today. That's an enduring principle. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. That should govern our thoughts all the time. God bless you. Till next time.